Welcome to the Solo 2.0 podcast, where two sisters, Jess and Rye, focused on health and hormone balance to help you step into that 2.0 version of you. Growing up, we heard all about hormones, sometimes more than we wanted, from our mom, who is a hormone health educator. As we got older, we rebelled and experienced our own health struggles and ups and downs. But today we have businesses helping people get in tune with their bodies, break free from restrictive eating and lifestyle habits, and learn how to balance their hormones naturally. So what can you expect from this podcast? Honest conversations and hot topics that should be more mainstream, like period health, cycle tracking, non-hormonal birth control, and our unique take on fad diets and trends that aren't always so supportive for women. Plus, interviews with health and wellness entrepreneurs making a big impact in the world. Ladies, it's time we align with our powers and redefine what healthy means to us. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. This is Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. And usually I'm joined by my sister, hormone health coach, Jess Sukan of Body Blessed by Jess. Um, and I am joined by her in this interview, but it's just me today providing this intro. So our guest today, Nathan Riley, is a very independent thinker who challenges the status quo, especially when it comes to our medical and healthcare system, which is much of what we talk about in this episode. So although we had intended to also get into fertility, alternatives to hormonal birth control, home births, and egg freezing, there was just not enough time to cover it all. So we're going to be interviewing him in late January and doing a part two then. But quick disclaimer before I share more about Nathan and stop talking so you can start listening, I just wanted to make clear that Jess and I have utmost respect for all doctors, the schooling, the process, the grueling process of becoming a doctor is insane and I could never do it and we have so much admiration for it. But we, along with many of our clients, have had negative experiences or, I guess, subpar experiences, particularly with OBGYNs when it comes to feeling heard and supported with our hormonal health. And there's a reason for that. And that's what Nathan will really get into in this episode. We believe that women often will need to work with both Western medicine doctors and more integrative or functional doctors, such as a naturopath, to really get to the root of health issues and especially in the hormone health realm. And this is really entirely based on the medical system and the gaps in training for many doctors within the Western medicine system. So there's, again, a reason for all of this. In this episode, Nathan understand helps us understand why appointments with OBGYNs or gynecologists are the way they are, why, you know, they may push birth control, why they may not, you know, instead of helping us learn how to regulate our, our periods or prepare for pregnancy naturally, and why it is they don't know anything about cycle tracking, for example. Uh, he explains how incentive structures work at the hospital, at, you know, most hospitals that are for-profit hospitals, which they all are, um, you know, what that incentive structure looks like for certain kinds of testing, procedures, prescriptions and how the Western medicine model became what it is today, including why we don't get any lifestyle, nutrition, stress management suggestions or support from Western-trained doctors. I also wanted to explain that because this conversation went a little long, we had to cut out some of the beginning of our conversation, which we really enjoyed, but we just felt like it was going to be too long in combination with the part two we're going to do. So I wanted to just briefly summarize what we talked about to Nathan about in the in the part that we cut because he explained what drew him to such a female dominated field and I also shared you know my personal block 
around working with a male gynecologist or male OBGYN, which, of course, he said he gets all the time and he completely understands. And also, side note, there is a difference between an OBGYN and a gynecologist. Um, an OBGYN is mostly focused on pre-birth, conception, post-birth, and they spend most of their time in surgery, while a gynecologist is focused on routine care for women's health and reproductive issues. Um, but anyway, to shed light on his reasons for getting into this, Nathan explained that growing up, he was he was surrounded by women. He had mostly female friends, and he's been with his wife since high school, and they have two little girls together. So he, you know, having sort of always been a hyper-masculine male, he really has felt drawn to the feminine energy and has always felt he needed to be surrounded by women and um, just working with women to really have his energy balanced. And he just has a deep, deep admiration for women. And we, we talked about you know, an exploration of feminine energy versus masculine energy and why it's so important for men to be more involved in the most intimate parts of birth and pregnancy, you know, these, these topics shouldn't be so taboo. So that was a really, um, interesting conversation, but again, it went pretty long. So I figured I'd summarize it for you. And I, you know, we just, you know, you'll see it shine through in, in this conversation, but you can just tell he's so passionate about working with women and helping women. And, and we really admire that. And it really did help me sort of change my perspective too, about working with a male OBGYN. I could definitely open my mind to working with someone like him. Finally, before we get into this episode, I wanted to share Nathan's short bio and also let you know that there are a few F-bombs dropped in this conversation, so if you've got kids in the car, maybe listen to this one solo. All right, more about Nathan. He is an MD OBGYN and the founder of Beloved Holistics, a medical practice offering truly holistic care. His practice is one of the rarest in the United States, providing truly holistic care to individuals across the entire human journey from birth to death. As a medical doctor and fellow of the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, Nathan has assisted with the birth of thousands of newborns into the realm of life. And as a hospice doctor, he has passionately supported hundreds of families and individuals as their loved ones returned across the veil. In addition to Nathan's training as a medical doctor, he is a Czech professional and a Yanni steaming facilitator. In summary, he's a super interesting, passionate guy, and we hope that you will, you know, listen to his insights as well as sort of our unique insights with an open mind, and we'd, as always, love to hear your feedback, and stay tuned for part two. We'll get into the nitty-gritty um, with more tips around pre-, post-birth, pregnancy, all of that. So uh, enjoy this episode, and we'll see you in a week or two. You've referred to yourself as a recovering or recovering <laughs> from conventional medicine, yeah, uh, or a recovering conventional doctor. Um, you know, and and you you refer to yourself as a holistic OBGYN. So, how does your approach to patient care differ from the traditional OBGYN approach? Uh, I'll start by commenting on the the um, oh, what did you say? It was it was really about the uh, recovering part. Like, what am I recovering from? Well, I'm yes. recovering from the, the traumatic stress that is living within a system, being born of a system that stripped me of everything that made me, you know, all of my Nathan Rileyness. 
And um, I used to be somebody that loved to have sex. I mean, my wife and I have been together since we were 16, so I'm not out there oh, like wow. jamming, you know, in the clubs. I used to love ha- having sex. I used to love being in nature. I used to love uh, exercising. I used to love doing all those things. And then in residency specifically, 100-hour work weeks, you're not sleeping very much. It, it caused my wheels to fall off by trying to do those things because of the demands of my program. And even my program director saying, your your family now comes second. Oof. Like that ripped a piece of me out. And I, I was so disturbed and so, um, I was in a state of like, like existential dread. Like, what have I done to myself? How did I get here? And then I ended up in adrenal fatigue and I was all totally fucked up. So the reason I say that is that when they've they've recently they've been really interested in resiliency and burnout amongst OBGYNs because the long hours of even your the best hospital-based OBGYN are so problematic for the work-life balance that you end up in a really we're, we're treating burnout now like PTSD. I mean, think about that. Mm. Higher suicide rates among certain subspecialties in medicine, especially in OBGYN, higher than veterans. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, so what the, f- am I able yeah. to curse? Yeah. yeah. We okay. would have stopped you a long time ago. <laughs> I curse a lot because sometimes, what was that show that Jim Carrey was on, on Showtime? It's like, sometimes you have to use a, a curse word because another word just won't work. Yeah. I'm so passionately about this that yeah. we're going to have to let some bombs drop, but <laughs> what the fuck are we doing here? Like, how are human beings supposed to care for other human beings if they are completely broken down? If I can't, if I like need permission to pee, poop, laugh, have sex, get pregnant, grow my family, whatever, if I need permission to do all of those things, like what is left of me? And now we're expecting you to care for somebody going through this incredibly sacred rite of passage that is also physically very demanding, mentally, emotionally. It's a very spiritually demanding experience. So how are we supposed to go to the bedside and show any regard for anybody when we've become just a broken down clunker into the back of someone's yard here in Bumpkinville, Kentucky? It's, it's just not gonna gonna work. So that was the first part of your question. What was the second part? Was I, I took how, a little Oh, no, no, no. That, that's wonderful and makes so much sense. And then how you define what it means to be a holistic OBGYN and how you uh, approach, you know, your patient care uh, versus or your patients versus the traditional approach. Yeah. How does it look differently? Yeah. So early in my life, I, I realized that birth looked a lot like death. You know, there was a lot of secrecy around, a lot of mystique. And the two things that people love talking about secretly are like, birth and menstruation and like all that, it kind of rolls into sexuality, you know, which it should, but in funny ways, because people don't know how to put it together. But like the image of a vulva is just like, you know, and and somebody superimposes it on top of the the Virgin of Guadalupe. And it's like, oh my God, the vulva is everywhere. And you see all these ancient fertility totems and whatnot. And it's like, this is a really big part of who we are. Likewise with death, we're all going to go through that. Every man and woman, however you identify, is going to go through death. And if you're a man who has a partner and you want to grow a family, you're going to have to be a part of a birth and see what that feels like. So these two things are super similar. You don't talk about them around the dinner table. There's oftentimes a lot of like fluids involved and there's a lot of unknown after that. So I started seeing that. I was like, wow, that's really, really neat. 
I lost my father when I was in medical school and I actually had to call off a code. They were coming in to do CPR and he was like clear. We were clear. Do not resuscitate. He survived that experience. He was in like a really bad arrhythmia and it resolved, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't alive anyways. Like he was near the very, very end of his life. And as I was sitting with him and, and contemplating that I, it, it stuck with me, my father's past and his dying process. And he, he had been, um, getting chemo and whatnot for about five years before that happened. So I had a long time to, to see this. And he met with a palliative care team at UPMC, which is one of the world's most renowned hospital systems. It's up there with like Mayo and Hopkins and huge research, huge cancer center. And the palliative care team actually did more for him than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I promise I'm coming around to the holistic OBGYN thing. I, I promise that. Okay. So, okay. I, you know, I realized, okay, we've got, the world's best oncologist here. And we've got the world's best palliative care team. And the the team that provided more benefit was the palliative care team. And it was through getting him to open up some of the psychological, the emotional, the spiritual concerns he had around end of life. So despite all of the stuff we were doing for the physical, we weren't going to save my dad. My dad was going to die just like everybody. He was just dying way sooner than, than he hoped. Yeah. I then used that experience while I was in OBGYN residency, and I realized there's far more that I could do for this woman giving birth. And that's a very, very small part of what OBGYNs do, um, although it's generally the thing people think about. 70% of our training is in surgery. Roughly, I don't know, 10% maybe is actually with birth, with vaginal birth. So, um, and surgeries include like removal of ovaries, labiaplasty, I mean, like everything in the the gynecologic world. So I really was fascinated by the birth thing. And I sat so much with women from the, as much as I could just sit with them and get to know them and understand what they're going through. Cause there's not like a way I'll ever find an answer to this. I realized that just like with my dad, there's far more than physical stuff going on here. So what if I could overlay those two specialties and really dive deep? So I did a, a, a subspecialty year of training and fe- it's called fellowship at UC San Diego. It's probably the best palliative care program around. So I was super lucky to get in and UCSD of course is like a, 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 a force to be reckoned with just like UCSF. So I got this incredible experience there and I tried to overlap the two. And that's what brought me to like a more holistic approach. It was like, if I'm going to help you get pregnant, it can't just be measuring your follicle size and pumping you full of synthetic hormones, hormones, you know, these analogs, the synthetic endocrine disruptors that overhaul this beautiful orchestration of hormones through feedback loops in your body. I know you guys know a lot about this. Yeah. So instead of hijacking, what is the upstream reason? Why is this person not conceiving? How many times have you heard a woman is in a a long-term marriage, they aren't getting pregnant, and then at 28, they get out of marriage and bam, they're pregnant immediately. It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's not that the sperm and the egg weren't compatible. Maybe. But what if there was more to this? What if there was a mental, emotional, a spiritual component to this? Yes. And I started playing with it. And sure enough, when you have sex that's fun and not calculated and you're maybe you smoke a little cannabis and you lean into some Shakti energy together, maybe that excitement is is a calling to invite the spirit of this baby in. And that's just one of the many things that I incorporate into my practice. So I'm like as much a counselor and a sex therapist as I am like, let's read your Dutch report. (laughs) Although I will say about the Dutch reports, what an amazing test you can do to, you know, offer to, to women. I was on the phone with a Dutch, one of their consultants today to review one of my clients, uh, Dutch reports and, 
he was kind of baffled and I was kind of baffled. And I was like, what about this? And I threw some stuff in there and he was like, dude, you know more about this, I think, than any other OBGYN. Like, where did you come from? He said that. And I'm not tooting my horn. I was just like, I'm onto something here. Yeah. The OBGYNs can learn quite a bit from just opening up the possibilities that there's more to this than just measure the follicles, inject the HCG, shoot the sperm up in there, or transplant the embryo or whatever else. So yeah. um, from a fertility standpoint alone, the inclusion of not just the physical, that's the first you know, um, level, let's say, of like Maslow's hierarchy of, uh, of optimal health. <laughs> There's the mental, there's the emotional, there's the spiritual. You know, a person tells me, I got gestational diabetes, even though I did eat a healthy diet. I'm like, define a healthy diet. And what about the toxins in, in your environment? The, 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 the toxic load of no sleep, of the EMF surrounding you, about a grid line, geopathic stress right through your bedroom. Like all of this stuff is important. Are you making out with your partner when you have sex? Are you just pumping her full of, of penis? Like, <laughs> like there's more to this. Then just insert penis and out comes baby. Right. So uh, I hope I've answered your question, but I yeah. could go on and on about the true meaning of holistic, which goes way beyond just natural. It's yeah, fascinating. Well, it is. And it's fascinating that it's such a radical sort of concept and it shouldn't be yeah, and it isn't. Shouldn't be. Yeah. It shouldn't be and it isn't. And all of these elements, yes, of our sex life, of our health should be addressed with our OBGYN. And it baffles me that it never is. And one of the questions I, I had for you um, was that, you know, in the work that we do, we hear so often from women that their hormonal concerns were dismissed, that birth control was pushed, that other kinds of testing was sort of like just dismissed as well, you know, and and often the, the takeaway is like, you're crazy for wanting to go outside of this specific box of suggestions that I have for you, even though we women are learning about the detrimental impacts of being on synthetic hormones for so long. Right. And we're educating ourselves about the phases of the cycle. And why is it that the response is like, you're kind of crazy? Why is it? And I've had that experience so many times, the OBGYNs, yeah. and because of what we do and because of growing up with a mom that has taught us so much, I'm able to just push back more confidently. But then I always leave feeling like so weird and uncomfortable. And even if I like the doctor to start, you know, she's friendly, she's nice, but then you leave feeling like, why this isn't crazy what we're talking about here we know yeah. the phases of our cycle we know that we can naturally prevent pregnancy you know on our own now from the knowledge we have about ovulation so why it like how does that happen that there's no education or awareness in the standard model well and also yeah i want you to answer that but also just got the wheels turning of like you know, so many women that go on the hormonal birth control pill that come in and say like, I'm anxious, I'm depressed. Like, oh, okay, here's Zoloft. Like here's depression medication. So like now we're just like stacking on medication and not actually hearing the person. And or asking any lifestyle what, questions. Nothing. Right. It's just, and, and I think, I mean, we'll let you speak obviously, but I think that there's a major lack of education within that space and that often the response that I've often gotten feels like that OBGYN just doesn't really know anything themselves about cycle tracking or the different phases. And they kind of rely on their skill set when it comes to symptom equals medication. So it's like, 
it's almost like when you don't know how to answer a question and you just go back to something that you do feel comfortable with, that's what it feels like to me. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't know much about that. I don't really know how to dig deeper or to actually care about what you're going through, but I do know how to prescribe. And so I'm just going to keep going back to that. Yeah. I was, I had to write some things down because you guys both asked great questions and there's certainly a lot of overlap there. Yeah. Um, So where do we start with that one? So really what you're getting at is the same question that so many people who are following me on social media are like, hell yeah, he's the only one I like tagging me and videos, wanting me to comment, et cetera. Um, The big question that they're all, they have answered for themselves is that OBGYNs either aren't educated, they're lacking um, compassion, they maybe don't have great bedside manner, et cetera. Maybe I don't have great bedside manner. I've been told otherwise. Um, I may come off even intense, as intense on social media, but when it comes down to like caring for a person, you slow it down to zero and you sit there and you wait and you ask questions, and you wait, and you listen. There was a British Medical Journal study done several years ago that, that looked at a primary care setting. How, how long would a client, a, a patient, I say client because I'm usually caring for healthy people. If you're pregnant, you don't have a disease, so you're not a patient. Mm. So if I say client, it's I'm not speaking from the lens of like some weird functional medicine terminology. I'm just saying like a person comes to me for help. They're, they're paying me for their, for my insights. So a client comes in and on average has about 22 seconds to elaborate on why they're there before the doctor jumps in and begins to diagnose and manage whatever it is that they've got going on. 22 seconds. Wow. It can, I could like burp for longer than 22 seconds. (laughs) That is a super abbreviated uh, HPI, as we call it, a history of present illness. And um, so when we, so we have to consider why is that? Is that the doctors don't like listening? Is that doctors don't know how to listen? That they don't know uh, what questions to ask? uh, That they don't care? I don't think any of those are entirely true. Maybe for some people in some regard, but I think for the most part, doctors went into a life of education and investing money because they did genuinely want to help people. Yeah. Yeah. The issue is that you get out on the other end, you find yourself where I was and you're being incentivized to do things that aren't in alignment with you, with the Nathan Riley that they tried to beat out of me that I held on to dearly much to the chagrin and nearly, uh, uh, repenting, uh, so to speak, if I was a sin, my involvement in the program, like they almost didn't want me to finish, but they didn't have any grounds to not let me finish. I just, really chap their ass. So in holding on to that, I didn't stray so far from what I wanted to do. And yet I have these incentives that are telling me that if you want to be one of us, you have to do it this way. So these doctors are sleeping way less than you. If you're listening and you're not a doctor, they're sleeping way less than you. They don't even have time to be with their families, let alone read some trade paperback like Fix Your Period by Nicole Jardin, one of my favorites that I, I have a whole case of them in my garage and I just send them to clients. Uh, when are they going to do that? Like, when are they going to do that reading? When does, when is anybody actually?
actually picked up a book and just read because they were interested in something. I do it a lot because I've structured my life like that, but most of us don't do that. Our incentive structure is revenue driven. And your job when you're renting out your time in any industry, when you're renting out your time, they're going to pay you the bare minimum to get you to do the job. So even though doctors are paid well for what they have put into this, they've their cream educationally and all that, they are being paid piss poor and their time is being taken away. And your time is actually not your currency. Your presence is your currency with your patients. So see more patients, prescribe as quickly as possible. And if you can diagnose and prescribe quicker than the others, you're going to get a bonus. We're going to throw you a taco party on Friday, right? So that's the one thing. The other thing is that OBGYNs are lacking in education. They've invested so much time, 100-hour work weeks for four years in residency alone, let alone med school and college and all that volunteer stuff just to fluff up their resumes. They have not really educated themselves. And what was it? I think it was Einstein that said, education is or, uh, education's what's left over when you forget what you, what you learned in school or, or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We've got OBGYNs that probably know that there's some deficits, but they've invested so much of themselves into this job. And that's the only thing they've got. So when I was in residency, I did not learn what fertility awareness tracking was. I had no idea that the cervical mucus was going to change that uh, that uh, profoundly in the sense that when it was in this configuration, dry or creamy, no sperm gets through. When it's egg white, pow, these channels open up. I had no idea. Yeah. So how can I go through all of that training, med school, college, med school, residency, whatever, and not know that? I had to learn it. I had to study it. And so on top of an 80-hour work week, I started reading. I was reading and reading and reading on top of the residency stuff, which is how I ended up in adrenal fatigue. But I was also doing CrossFit and rock climbing and all this other stuff, drinking too much, et cetera. So, so there's an education gap. There's a poor incentive structure. Um, we have, when you sign up with a hospital system, you have you create a fee schedule with the insurance with an insurance company. And the insurance company will say, Dr. Riley, we'll pay you $150 every time you use this code. Okay, so I'm going to use this code. It's the well woman visit, right? Dr. Riley, we're also going to pay you to do an ultrasound if it's indicated, if you give us good explanation. Okay, 150 bucks for the ultrasound code. It's not going to me, it's going to the hospital system and I get a portion of that and they're paying me from the big pot. They also say, hey, if you do blood work, We'll, we'll do that. These these blood tests, not not uh, a Dutch test. We're not yeah. talking about that. We're talking about like TSH, which is like, what am I going to do with a TSH alone mm-hmm. outside of pregnancy? Um, so it, you can see my point here is they've dictated what I can actually get paid for. So if I want to spend an extra hour and a half, which is what I do in my practice, I'm not going to get paid for it. So where are these doctors supposed to do that? So we have a totally this incentive structure is completely maligned. Now, to the other part of your question, you don't go to a doctor seeking information on how to take care of yourself for all of the reasons I've talked about. Doctors don't take care of themselves. They're overweight. They're, they're Many are obese. Many of them have diabetes and blood pressure, and they're seeing blood pressure and diabetes patients all day and giving them advice. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work. You don't go to pay less shoes to buy groceries to make a soup later in the day. You don't go to your doctor 
for advice on how to take care of yourself because we have been so dehumanized through our training that we have forgotten all about taking care of ourselves. And I do believe it's a part of the original Hippocratic Oath or even the contemporary one that physicians are expected to thyself. And that's not enough because we don't have the time. Maybe we've 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 become house broke, people living in too big of houses with boats and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you just don't know. Maybe you like really think you're doing okay, but you have never loved yourself in the way that I know I have loved myself. And that has left you broken and unable to care for other people. Mm-hmm. The last part of your question really is related to why aren't they invested in this? And I think that beyond the Dutch test, which is a super easy thing that every doctor should know how to do. Um, and if you can't interpret it, like you've got two women right here who I'm sure can be, would be very, very happy to help. Um, or call me. <laughs> I'm doing it way more than I thought I would be when I first heard about it. Um, if we go back several hundred years, nearly a thousand years, Galileo, Rene Descartes, Francis Bacon, these thought leaders of the time in an effort to push back against the church and state, which just before that had led a, most of the Western world to murder millions of women and children through the witch hunts. We're good church and state. We're going to have to find a different way to do this in order to dissect into bodies and better understand some of these organ structures and the fascial planes and whatnot. We can't disturb the soul. And until this point, the soul is, un, is sort of inextricably linked with the physical body. So once we, these thought leaders got us to divorce the spirit, the soul, the mind from the body, now we can cut into them. The issue is that a a corollary to that is that if it's measurable and tangible, it's important. If it's not, then it's not our domain. So medicine has been divorced from a truly holistic approach to caring for a person for as long as Western medicine has been around. It It is a definition, by definition, not a part of Western medicine. Mm-hmm. So again, holistic, not, not just natural. We're talking about the physical, emotional, and spiritual element. I'm sorry, the the mental, emotional, and spiritual element, elements and how those interact with the physical and manifest as symptoms. This is what a holistic approach looks like. So when we say, why don't doctors do this? It's because doctors don't know how, and they probably don't really have the time to justify investing in more education. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's very, very few people like me. I'm not like plugging myself, although naturally it is a plug because I, I wish I had somebody else out here doing this so I could yeah. have some, some help, some, you know, some support. <laughs> Honestly. Well, two takeaways from that. Um, and the reason I did ask also is because I haven't genuinely, I mean, we've assumed that this is not, you know, the phases of the cycle and Fertility tracking is not a part of the educational system, but I really just wanted to confirm it's really not something that that is taught. Um, so that makes sense. And then second, I have never fully, you know, I go into the OBGYN and she's got pamphlets for every kind of synthetic hormone and birth control and they're pushing it always on me. And even though I'm like, no, I'm good. And so I, like, I've known that it was said that there's a, you know, that they make a percentage or prop, but I didn't really know exactly how that worked. And I don't think that most women actually know that, that there's a code and that certain tests and these things are coming back as a bonus or an incentive for you. Yeah. And so it's very helpful to better understand that that's why your, your, your appointment went the way that it, that it, that it did. Um, and, mm-hmm. and then also just to add on from what you were saying at the end there, um, you know, we wanted to touch on some of the myths around 
within yeah. the current healthcare system. And one of the ones that you've shared about was that um, the physical and measurable is all that matters. Right. And so you've just given so much color to that. I didn't also understand that, that that's really by definition how you're supposed to be handling your patient care and that the rest of it, the lifestyle, the nutrition is just extra. Doesn't yeah, fall let within. Me, let me add something to that too, because, you know, there's a lot of people that go to Sprouts or whatever out on the West Coast, they get their their homeopathic remedies. Um, they get, uh, they maybe go and get a Reiki session. They're doing yoga. They're doing breath work. They're doing all these things that are somatic therapies, but it's actually through a very, very different part of the body. You know, if you have an issue with your nerve sensing system in the word, in the lens of Steiner's anthroposophic medicine, it tends to, to, to contract, you'd get a hardening of things. So the, the remedies for an, a, a nervous system disorder would be meditation and expansion versus your metabolic limbic system or metabolic limb system, I should call it, not limbic, um, you tend to be expansive. So, uh, you know, the exercise and diet and all of that actually is good remedy for that. If you were to ask a doctor how to describe why diet is important for somebody, they're only going to be able to say, well, because of the biochemical pathway, the, the, re the receptors and insulin and blah, 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 but there's more to it than that because these systems, including your, your rhythmic system, these systems all interact with one another. And we know that. We know that stress can cause hypertension just as, you know, hypercholesterolemia, for example. Um, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, hypercholesterolemia, but I'm just trying to illustrate something here. So for the person who goes to the store and gets the homeopathic, which seems to work on some way that we can't fully understand through the typical ways that we measure the efficacy, um, because the same homeopathic remedy is not going to be uh, utilized by the individual, you know, over here versus over here versus in the house across the, you know, the way. So it's a far more, more of an art than a science. We love to be able to reduce things and have one variable and see if Tylenol 500 milligrams helps with pain or doesn't. But even pharmaceuticals are kind of magical. Like you take this pill and your blood pressure goes down. Like that sounds like fucking alchemy, you know? Mm -hmm. When you talk about homeopathics, for some reason it, it smacks differently. So back in the early 20th century, there was this crisis in medicine and the regular doctors, as they called themselves, wanted to be sort of they wanted to be the tops. They wanted to really find their their groove. And a lot of doctors at the time were training in Germany and understanding this new idea of four years of college, then four years of medical education. They brought that over and started the first medical institution or medical school, we can say, um, through the German style of, of, of medical education, which was Johns Hopkins. So Johns Hopkins was the, the prototype for what then was a later an investment, huge philanthropic investment from their Carnegie's and Rockefellers, these philanthropic dollars. And those dollars were only going to go to the facilities and the institutions that were modeled after this German style of education. They just loved it. I don't know why they loved it, but they were like, they were, they were excited about this new style of education. So a guy named Abraham Flexner, I think it was like 1909 or something like that, he went around and, and went to every single medical education institution, including homeopathics, chiropractics, Chinese medicine, whatever, and he ranked them based on how closely they fit this German style model. 
So as a result, there was a probably the equ equivalent of $10 billion invested from these insanely, inordinately, inordinately rich men mm -hmm. into medical education as we see it now. And as at the expense of a lot of other um, practices that were doing quite a bit of good, but they didn't get the big philanthropic dollars. So they couldn't transform with the times. The reason I say all of this is, is that like doctors ask, uh, uh, they act as if there's only one way to do this. It's almost as if they've adopted a belief system, sort of like when you become an evangelical Christian, once you adopt fully a belief system, it takes thinking, it takes feeling in the world completely out of the equation. So a lot of the doctors who have invested so much, they have no incentive to think outside because this is the only thing that is ever acknowledged as being useful in our society. And naturally, just like Flexner in his report, you know, kind of got us all thinking, those other things are just lesser than. So there are so many cultural pressures for, for the benefit of Western medicine, including consumer demand, that there's no, it should be no surprise to anybody. We have a medical system that is doing exactly what the consumer has asked, a quick fix through pharmaceuticals and surgery. Mm -hmm. If you go out there, you're going to have to pay out of pocket because it's not on the fee schedule for me to do homeopathics for you or anthroposophic remedies, which generally are homeopathic, but they don't call them that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Her, sorry. That was a no, little bit. Honestly, I'm just like wide eyed, bushy tailed because all of this is so it's not talked about enough whatsoever at all. I've never had a conversation with someone about this and this kind of detail. And it's just how it the came wheels. to be like this. Yeah. How it came to be like this. And then, you know, the wheels are turning to this, this other side of things where it's like, you know, one of our questions was going to be, how would you educate a woman to be able to better advocate for herself in these more traditional healthcare settings where they're meeting with an OBGYN or a doctor. And it's like, they want to come armed with the knowledge that they're not going to be potentially dismissed or that they're going to be able to receive the kind of care that they're actually asking for. Is that even possible? Um, or does it require seeking out a holistic OBGYN like yourself? And then to your point, it's not covered by insurance. So what is a woman to do? <laughs> so I, I got a great lesson from a woman who I believe she went by the name that has stuck with me. Her name was Dick. She had had like 14 pregnancies. She'd given birth 10 times in, in my hospital. I was at Kaiser in Los Angeles. I was a gynecologist in Hollywood. And okay. um, it's not it's not as glamorous as, as that uh, strange um, accent that I pulled out of nowhere. <laughs> but um, you've got a lot of stories, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a strange place to be. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. To be, to be a doctor, period. But mm -hmm. anyways, um, so I was a third or fourth year resident and I had seen this lady before. Like, I think maybe I had been involved in one of her pregnancies, but she was pregnant again. Who knows who the father was? Because apparently it was a different father for most of the pregnancies. And this is no judgment. It was just like, this lady walks in. Everybody knows her by name. How is so-and-so? How is so-and-so? Because they've all been a part of her care for like, they've seen her so many times. So she walks in and she's like, yeah, you know, I'm pregnant. And she's, she's a very tall, very like large woman. You know, I won't say like she wasn't obese. She was just six, three oh. broad shoulders. Like she was a large lady, like really could command the room. And she had a loud voice and 
she came in and she was like, I'm not feeling the baby move a lot, you know? And so they were like, okay, let's get you on the monitor. And they set her up and, and, uh, I just realized you have to block out her name whenever you edit. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Um, that's okay. So, uh, so she's on the monitor and the typical thing to do for decreased fetal movement is you put them on the monitor for maybe 30 minutes. If you don't see a lot of activity, maybe keep them for an hour, maybe you keep them for two hours and for whatever, well, however long she was there, eventually she just decided she didn't want to do it. So she took the monitors off and walked away <laughs> Wow! and I was sitting there at the door kind of watching. I didn't like, I don't, what do I care? Like you're not a prisoner here, but the nurses were looking at me as if our captive is escaping. What are you going to do? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think. We should just let like let her go. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> and it occurred to me, we've been so conditioned to just go with the flow, the way that other people have talked to us and treated us from the IRS to our mom and dad to our kindergarten teacher, whatever. And uh, we have failed to realize the power in just saying in a respectful way, no, thanks. No, yeah. We don't, we don't ever just say, I mean, Hey, do you want to go see a movie? Oh, I got to like water my cat, you know, like whatever comes up (laughs) instead of just saying, you know what? I'm like really tired. Thanks. But no, thanks. Like we don't even do with our close friends, let alone a person wearing a priest's jacket with sharp things nearby who, uh, hasn't let you speak for more than 22 seconds at a time in your visit. (laughs) So going in, I've learned, I used to say like, you gotta, gotta have all the information. I used to even carry a briefcase. Here it is right here, actually, of all studies that justified not intervening in childbirth because my attendings were just on my ass all the time for not doing four hour cervical exams in the middle of the night, waking everybody up. Even the nurses were like, do we have to? And I was like, yes, we have to until I realized you didn't have to. And then I had to start defending myself for not doing things that were creating extra work, but with no benefit and perhaps even some harm. So. I used to say, you got to be educated, you know, like evidence-based birth, all this other stuff. But the problem with that is that you're not going to argue through data and convince your doctor that you're smarter than them or you're better read. Like it's not going to happen because the doctor is a broken human being who is, is fanning the flames, the, the embers of their ego. Otherwise they're going to lose it and jump off a building. They need to be in a place of power because they identify with this job. It is a bit of a sociopathic tendency to go into medicine because you're seeking power. You want to help people, but you want to be the person in charge. So we we use that language in childbirth. I'm the captain of the ship. You you're not the captain. You're not the doctor. I don't uh, show me your MD or whatever. Um, so if you go in thinking it's going to be a, a a battle of intellect, you're wrong. Like you're going to lose. And if you do have better information, they're not going to admit it. And they're going to see you as a problem child. Mm-hmm. So what's the alternative? The alternative is you just get good at saying, yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. And that is tremendously powerful. Just like, you know, the, my patient, you know, I was telling you about tremendously powerful to just say, no, no, thank you. I mean, you could practice this today if you're going to have a glass of wine and you know, it doesn't feel good, but you just want to have that glass of wine. Say no and stick to your no. And feel the like how powerful that is later when you're like, I said no and I stuck to it. It's it's really a remarkable exercise. It's actually funny you just said that because Ryan and I went out to dinner um last night with our cousin and Ryan was like, Oh, are you guys ordering a glass of wine? And 
Caroline just said no. And then I had this like weird need to be like, no, you know, I've had stress and I I don't feel like it's going to really benefit me right now. And like going into this like awkward, long explanation as to why I'm not having a glass of wine and like no one really wanted one anyway. So none of us had one. (laughs) But it's like, I could have just like, you even owe that to them. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like, no, I'm good. I don't need wine. You know, but you're so right. We have such a a problem just saying exactly how we feel and what we want, especially as women. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I I don't, I I totally agree. I was just going to say that I did a reel on our, your hormone balance Instagram with like a script for explaining, you know, to your doctor, why you're not interested in the birth control. And, you know, maybe that's too long of it, of an explanation, but I think part of it, 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 it sometimes does need to go beyond just the no, because they'll yeah. push and well, why aren't you on it? You know? So you then have to feel comfortable explaining why you're not in a way that will just like satisfy them, which is a strange position to be in that you even need to do that, but often you do need to elaborate. Yeah. So it is helpful to go in with a little bit more reasoning yeah, um, it makes you feel comfortable and confident. And, and again, being in this business, I feel confident, but I, I don't think your average person does. And I still feel like uncomfortable when I'm pushed, but you know, I think it's important for women to remember to your point, like there is this power dynamic where we feel like you're our, like the, the doctor is our boss or something, or like, we're going to get like a child, you know, like a child. Remember you're half naked. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you feel subservient, but remember, actually you're the boss, you're the patient, you're in charge of your own healthcare and you get to decide yes or no to these different things. But why, why, you know, we don't always feel that way. We don't always feel our own power. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think you're spot on. I think it starts with saying no thanks. And if they need more, then you have people like me and you guys to lean on for a little bit more information. It's not a data-driven conversation. It's more of a, it doesn't feel right. The next question I would say is instead of you saying it causes all these things and letting them refute, it was 85%, not 89%, you idiot. Forget that. (laughs) Yeah, the data is You know, what I always tell people across the board, whether you're a lay person or another type of medical professional, you have one job in the world. A doctor has one job in the world for everybody listening. It's your job to provide insight into what is going on and then to offer options for managing the thing that is plaguing you, so to speak, through risks, benefits, alternatives, using non-coercive language, and then supporting that person in their decision. If you don't want to do the thing that they really are adamant about, then you can refer them to somebody else. But as a patient going to this into this power, you know, struggle, this tension, ask them, well, what are the risks and benefits and are there alternatives? If they present a birth control pill to you without giving you any risks, they are violating a primary principle of bioethics, which is informed consent. You cannot provide informed consent without adequate information about risks, benefits, and alternatives provided through non-coercive language. Mm-hmm. So if your doctor does that and you know that they're not mentioning any risks, they're only emphasizing the benefits, you got to get a new doctor, period. I don't care how nicely they speak. They've been gaslighting you the entire time they've known you and they've actually manipulated you into believing they really care and that they're really informed about this without having done their homework. Mm-hmm. So if somebody asks me, what's the benefit of a, I don't know, taking, uh, doing a liver detox or whatever. And I say, oh, it's good. Everybody should do it. Everybody should get a colonic. Everybody should do yoga. Everybody should do CrossFit. 
without telling you there's also risks, then I'm not the person for you. And I'm very, very careful to do that. So this is a weeding out process. But even when you do find that person who is providing risk benefits alternatives, you have to be very, very upfront about what your concerns are. And they may not give you time to say that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that because we've put so much faith in the medical system and the health healthcare in quotes system, we've kind of lost our own um, ability to connect with our bodies and to actually feel what we're going through and to, you know, track our cycles maybe and say, oh, well, I'm getting, you know, these horrible, um, migraines before my period, or I'm, um, really low energy during this phase of my cycle, or I'm snapping at my partner at this other, at this other point, or, you know, I, what we were talking about earlier, I just feel like shit after I have wine. I think we just kind of disassociate from our symptoms because we're constantly going through the motions of what other people are telling us we should do with our own bodies, whether that's the medical system, it's our doctors, or it's an influencer on Instagram, or, um, you know, it's someone else that we've sought out help from. And of course, I think it takes a village. And if you can work with more providers and you can get more, um, experience and alternate opinions and, you know, gosh knows how many people I've seen try to get to the root of my migraines. And it's actually empowered me a lot, but through that journey, I've really had to connect with my own body because in the past, all I ever did was want to want other people to tell me what to do. And as Mm. a result, I suffered from hormonal imbalances. I suffered from, you know, all kinds of things that that didn't allow me to show up as the best version of myself. So I think a lot of it is, yeah, asking questions, but learning how, how to say no with conviction. How do you say no with conviction? If you're not even sure that's what you really feel because you're not in tune with your own body enough to say no, if that makes sense. I 100%, uh, I could, I could record everything you said and it could be, I could, I could adopt it as my own language and I would change (laughs) nothing really the at the root of this problem which is really inherent in everything i do in my practice in my whole platform is that from a very early age you have been conditioned to outsource all of your power and i'm not talking about like the 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 woo woo energetic stuff although that is also true but we've been divorced from spirit for far too long and i think people are really starting to embody that again maybe through psychedelics, maybe through meditative practices, yoga practices, et cetera, spending time alone. This outsourcing of power is so deeply ingrained in us. I mean, look at how many people are in lawsuits at all times. Like are we have the most litigious society that we, that of anybody, I mean, like we, we're way above the mark with the likelihood of you being sued for something as simple as somebody slipping on a sidewalk in front of your house, let alone your baby dying in childbirth. We are so, we have such a low threshold to point the finger and want to find somebody to blame for our problems. Now, having said that, there are certain situations, especially when we consider consider the social determinants of health, like poverty, like racism, like bigotry, like homophobia, and all these other things that keep so many people in our country down. But that aside, and that is a big thing, but even when we look at just rich, let's say just rich, straight Christian, you know, white people, straight, white, Christian, rich, white people. I think I said white twice, doubly white, extra white. Um, 
we are not seeing a lot of people take personal responsibility for how they show up in the world. And I mean, your personality, I mean, how you speak to your wife, I mean, how much you're drinking on weekends, whatever. Those are all things that are absolutely in your control. And in pregnancy, it is the ultimate exercise in exercising your power. But you've just found out you're pregnant. And for the last 30 years, I don't know how old you guys are, but the last 30 years, you have been conditioned to look to somebody else for for the answer. It's some politician or legislator. It's mom and dad. It's a priest. It's a. It's you know some other religious leader. Whatever, you, doctors. Doctors are the new priests. You've you've been conditioned to look. So why would it sound so crazy that a doctor would be the person to have the answer to your problem? And you better have it quick and fix and affordable. I don't even have to pay for it. Health insurance. Thank you. The Kaiser model of just getting people in and out the door in twenty two seconds. Great. All of this is to serve a society in which we've been conditioned to believe that we don't have power unless somebody else gives us permission to exercise that power. That is not true. (laughs) You do not have to do anything anybody tells you. Mm -hmm. Just two things to not do. Don't injure or kill somebody and don't fuck with their shit. That is natural law. This is like common law. Those are the only two things that we can really punish you for, which is why the cannabis conversation and psychedelics and whatever else, having a free birth, whatever else, like people try to put common law to that, but it's really, really hard to say that you are not going to consent to an abdominal incision for me to remove your baby, to keep your baby alive, if it's doing all of this other harm to you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, you know, delayed breastfeeding, delayed, you know, maternal neonatal bonding. So when you're pregnant, when you're stepping into this role of I'm going to be a mother, this is now your time to start exercising that power. And this is what my born free method course that's coming out, a part of a series of courses, my PRP patients, reverence, fertility program, patients, reverence, presence, fertility program. This is all about, I'm not going to fix your problem. I can't, nobody can. This is on you to do the very best with your available resources, to take care of the temple, lay down the healthiest soil, and reverse those 30 years of bad behaviors on all four of those levels in order for you to have the optimal experience through fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, menopause, etc. So this radical responsibility piece is confronting to people, but there is absolutely no way around it. You have, you have to do your best to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think the uh, the easiest way for people to think about it is like, listen, you, you know, listen, take yeah. it in, educate yourself, hopefully see more than one doctor, because I think just the more opinion, it's too common for someone to see one doctor, one OBGYN and take that word as final word. And then there could be this other, you know, hormonal issue that was going on and continues to grow for years and you never address it because you just took that final word and that was it versus maybe shopping around for, that's another thing you can do. You can go see another doctor, you can go get another opinion. And, you know, with, with what you shared about the history of the medical system, it makes so much sense why we view like chiropractic or, you know, Chinese medicine or, you know, even like a naturopathic doctor as, as less than, but in my experience and Jess's experience and so many of our clients experience, it does 
take a village to get often to, unless you've got someone like you that's, you know, all encompassing, which is so incredibly rare, you really have to seek out different models of care, different therapies to often get everything you need. And sometimes you need to see, it's not like every naturopath is the best one or every chiropractor is the best. It's like, you've got to get multiple opinions and expose yourself to multiple people to really decide what sits well with me um, and what am I going to take on and kind of move forward with. Yeah. And also I feel like there's so much out there for those that don't have the financial means. There's so much free education now too, that you can become so informed and truly an expert. Obviously there's certain things that you need to see a doctor for, but you know, I have learned the fertility awareness method by myself through education and through listening to hours of podcasts and free trainings and learning different devices, experimenting with them, learning to track my cycle, educating myself, knowledge, listening, you know, none of that came from me paying $15,000 to go see a doctor or, you know, a traditional OBGYN. I think a lot of it is getting curious and just becoming very becoming, I always say that compassionate detective into your own body. You're not used to being asked by medical providers, how are you feeling? How are you sleeping? And so as a result, you're not used to asking that question of yourself. How am I sleeping? How am I feeling? So often I meet with clients and I ask them, you know, they say, well, I've, I haven't been eating dairy for 15 years because I know it's bad for me. Well, how do you feel when you eat dairy? I don't know. I don't actually know, you know, or why is it that you, you know, skip breakfast? Do you, how do you feel when you eat breakfast? I'm not really sure, you know, because we're just following what we've been told and not, and, and not being nurtured enough to consistently check in with ourselves and to be our own advocates and know that there's a lot that we can seek out on our own too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, I do think that there's an education gap, obviously, in our country. But at this point, if you want to try to know as much as an OBGYN, it's going to take you in the wrong direction in the woods. There's plenty of other resources that will actually make you better at these things than trying to act like you're smarter than the OBGYN. Like, it doesn't matter about smarts. It doesn't matter how much time you spent. Like, you're not in the power seat. So what is in your power? going and just finding information, you know, and if you don't have a lot of time to listen to or to read, or you even maybe can't read well, then find somebody else and just start conversations around this. Like it's not out of your power to get your health even one degree closer to, to North, you know, if that's the head, the direction you want to go. Yep. Um, you know, I also think listening to you, Jess, I think there's also an element of as a consequence of us outsourcing power, we've neglected that inner voice that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Intuition could be a pretty authoritative body of knowledge if you were really, really in tune with what your body needs on all four of those levels. Um, Are you, uh, is there an addiction that's driving any of your behaviors? If it's not serving you, but you're doing it compulsively, it's an addiction. It doesn't have to be alcohol, tobacco, or whatever else. So when a person then is going to give birth, of course, they haven't been in touch with their bodies because nobody's given them 
they've been conditioned to not look inward. They've been lo- conditioned to look outward, but really you've got everything you need right here. And there are people like, you know, you guys and myself who are there to support you and hold the container while you're becoming re uh, embodied, so to speak, and remembering the power that comes with taking responsibility and with radical responsibility, especially in childbirth, there comes inc- an, an inc- immeasurable um, responsibility to accept the outcome. So if you want to exercise your power, that comes with incredible, there's great, great power in, in re-embodying yourself. But now you also have to accept that whatever happens, happened because of something I decided to do, even though I had the best doctor, hormone coach, health coach, whatever in the world guiding me, I still got to make the decision. And interestingly, when women, even when they have bad outcomes, if they've exercised their autonomy, they actually are much more at peace as opposed to saying, oh, why did I agree to that thing that didn't feel good within me? Yeah. We've decided we're going to do a part two of this conversation uh, to get into more fertility, home birth, egg freezing, um, maybe even conversations around birth control. But uh, since that probably won't come out for another month or so, in the meantime, how can people find you, follow you, listen to your podcast, et cetera? Well, thank you. And and also, I just want to acknowledge, I know you guys have built a brand, you've built a platform to be invited onto somebody else's turf is just such an honor. So thank you. And for everybody listening, it's really going to start with you guys spreading information like this. So share the podcast, like share good people's work like yours. And um, and this is really how we see the, the needle change. So thank you for having me. Um, and we'll get into all the mushy gushy, the into the, the toolbox um, next time. Um, if people want to find me, I'm on all of the social medias. Usually it's Nathan Riley, OBGYN. Um, everything's linked on my, my website, which is belovedholistics.com. By the time that this airs, I will be, um, accepting, uh, down payments for a new program I'm going to be launching. There's going to be six spots in the first cohort. It's my patience, reverence, and presence fertility program. It includes many meetings with me, seven other practitioners in the space, um, including Chinese medicine, functional nutrition, breath work, uh, spiritual medium. I mean, there's it's it's incredible this program, and it's uh, it's a higher price point, but you can imagine it's a fraction of the cost of IVF. So, people who are really struggling with fertility, we're going to hit physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual everything in 60 days, and by that time, we're going to start pregnancy planning at the end of your program because you're going to you're going to be getting pregnant for sure, um, if not through natural means then when you end up at IVF, you're going to have a, a, a slam dunk. Um, it includes, you know, detox protocols, vitamins, GI analysis, Dutch testing. It, it's the whole shebang. So if you are interested in that, go to my website, belovedholistics.com. Drop me a note if you want to jump in on that early cohort. And um, I'm also working on a Born Free. It's called the Born Free Method. It's a course that is basically everything that I elaborated in this episode, plus all of the stuff you need to know about pregnancy um, for you to have the most educated, informed, empowered birth possible. So um, look out for those programs. Otherwise, I am always accepting clients. I have got packages. I've got um, a collaborator program for any functional health practitioner, lifestyle coach, midwife doula. It's called my collaborator program, whereby I'm your MD consultant on a reasonable monthly retainer. You reach out to me with any questions, review this. Can you help me work through this? What would you do? That's what it's all about. And for midwives, I also do prescribing um, of medications, imaging labs, et cetera. So it's a pretty unique program that um, I'm very, very happy to be uh, very, very blessed to have that as a part of my life. And um, 
And then my podcast, of course, is called the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. We have quite a, a diverse range of topics that we cover there that are not just the routine, like what is estrogen? What is progesterone, cervix, uterus? Like it's it's so much more than that. You can go and find the boring other OBGYN podcasts if you want that. But um, I hope everybody will check all of that out. And guys, ladies, I'm so happy to be here with you and we'll we'll look forward to a part two. Yeah. Thank you so much. Can't wait.